Thanks so much for joining us for another edition of The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Ballot propositions were a hot topic in political headlines this week, particularly the defeat of one dealing with election issues. Howard Fisher is here to look at the head-snapping court ruling that sealed its fate. We'll also take a closer look at one prop that promises to put lots and lots of initiatives on future ballots. Today, Proposition 129 steps into the spotlight. Plus, we're almost two months away from November 8th, and there is no shortage of issues that promise to propel voters to the polls. We're talking trends with Mike Noble, OH Predictive Insights Chief Researcher and Managing Partner. But first, top stories from the campaign trail. Congressman Paul Gosar will not face a challenger in November. This week, Democrat David Lucere learned he did not get enough nominating signatures to qualify him as a write-in candidate. Lucere is the president and CEO of the Arizona Veterans and Military Leadership Alliance. He's a former Green Beret who serves on advisory boards for both Senator Mark Kelly and Congressman Greg Stanton. Gosar overwhelmingly won the Republican primary election for the District 9 seat in the U.S. House of Representatives. Lucier's announcement guarantees Gosar's re-election. The makeover of Republican U.S. Senate candidate Blake Masters' website continued this week. Masters' campaign previously removed his more controversial comments on abortion from the site. Gone now are false claims to a stolen election, as well as contentious references to the January 6th insurrection and comments about an immigration conspiracy theory. The site changes come on the heels of a big loss of revenue for the Masters' campaign. Late last week, Senator Mitch McConnell's Political Action Committee cut more than $8 million from its TV, radio, and digital ad spending in Arizona. Democratic Attorney General candidate Chris Mays wants to know what's going on with the leasing of land by a Saudi company. The company is renting 3,500 acres of prime La Paz County real estate to grow alfalfa to send back to the Middle East. Mays first raised questions about the operation during a conversation about water on the field last week. Some of the situations that we're seeing up here in, in Maricopa County and La Paz County are you know, we're, we're seeing sort of um, it, the giveaway of our water supplies, and in one case, to a Saudi-owned company. Um, and I think that's something that we have to take a closer look at. An Arizona Republican investigation revealed the company, Fondamonte, is paying just $25 an acre, including water. Realtors say the going rate for farmland is between 1000 and $4,000. Democratic gubernatorial candidate Katie Hobbs wants the voters to know she plans to take a tough stance on the border. Today, she released a new campaign ad touting her security policies. Katie Hobbs will deliver whatever resources are needed to keep you safe, my team safe, our state safe. The spot features Pima County Sheriff Chris Nanos and Santa Cruz County Sheriff David Hathaway and promises Hobbs will not politicize the border crisis. The Republican Governors Association promptly criticized the ad and disparaged the sheriffs, highlighting a 2016 investigation into some of Hathaway's high ranking deputies.
You're listening to The Field from KAWC, and I am Lisa Sturgis. Thank you so much for staying with us. What are your hot-button issues this election cycle? Maybe you're fired up over the border or bothered by the change in abortion laws. Just about everyone has one issue that makes them want to vote someone out or vote someone else in. And these days, the news comes at you fast and frequently, and the winds of change blow often and hard. Fortunately, we have our friends at OH Predictive Insights to track it all, and Mike Noble, chief researcher and managing partner of OHPI, is here to give us a look at what their research shows nearly two months out from the general election. Thanks for being here today, especially because it's a bit busy political time, and personally, it's a busy time for yourself. I just want to give you advanced congratulations on the impending birth of your third child. Oh, oh thank you so much. And, you know, elections are always very busy, but knowing going to have a, a, a newborn here, especially since we have twin boys, and they just got potty trained, so it, it, it's like playing the game shoots and ladders, and you get to the top and you, you land on that giant ladder that takes you to the bottom. That's what I'm feeling, but we're very excited about it. So, <laughs> Well, given your chosen profession, you're pretty good at challenges, so I have, yeah. you know. <laughs> no, it's a pleasure to be here again with you, Lisa. So let's talk about it. The news cycle is crazy, and it's one issue after another. Are we seeing shifts in voter opinions as we see these headlines pop up? You do and you don't. Uh, so in a couple of ways is that, for example, um, let's look at, uh, you know, some of these other uh, issues that have been happening, such as like when the, those terrible shootings happen, uh, those public shootings um, that happen. And that when, when that issue, when one of those terrible things, ones like the, the last one in West Texas, uh, you know, you'll see that all of a sudden, like gun laws or, or gun restrictions or gun access now then becomes kind of a, a, a heated, talked about debate. And so it'll bring it to the forefront. But then you'll have, you know, a month later, all of a sudden, oh, Roe v. Wade gets flipped over and all of a sudden abortion it, it now becomes uh, a more important issue than it was previously. And so and then the jobs and economy inflation and then you have what the immigration or border crisis. And it seems like it almost kind of rotates between those four Um besides a myriad of other issues. And so when we're looking at uh, issues for Arizonans, it really matters, I think, where, what is trending or happening at that time. So, for example, if you're trying to pass restrictive gun legislation when those terrible shootings happen, well, that gives more of an opportunity to push policies that would help um, uh, move that along because voters, their their uh, fear or their concern level arises because it's more front and center. But we see it absolutely in the data that the, you know, what information people consume and how much they consume of it very much impacts their opinion. Does that vary by party? Let's look at, so top issues, right? Uh, so let's look at overall. So Arizona's registered voter population. So on our last survey, which was among 927 registered voters and modeled to reflect or be reflective of that um, of that group is that, you know, you look at the top issues and it's not, hey, what issues are interesting? It's what issues are the most important issues or what are the big pain points that Arizonans are facing right now? And number one is jobs in the economy and inflation uh, is number one at about 39 percent. Immigration is at about 20 percent. And then healthcare and education are about seven and six percent. Uh, 
so when you look at, okay, those are the top four issues. The thing is, though, okay, how does that drive based on partisan breakout? What's interesting, we look at education, abortion, very much those are more Democratic issues. Uh, Democrats are, are definitely uh, more concerned about abortion education. And, uh, and independence, eh, it's not very high on their priority list. However, like immigration is very much driven by Republicans. Uh, and then about uh, one-fifth of independents, not so much Democrats. But one thing, frankly, all the parties agree on, which is the most important issue right now, is jobs and economy or inflation, where actually all three very much, uh, you know, uh, agree on that one. But what's interesting is that this issue set, think of the top three issues as like a three-legged stool. And like last election in 2020, that environment was very good for Democrats because education and uh, health care were very much higher on the list because the pandemic was going plus the Red for Red movement. Uh, but immigration wasn't even in the top three issues uh, at that time. And jobs and the economy favor Republicans. So of the three legs of the stool, Republicans only had one, Democrats had two. Now in this election, the issue set has flipped where jobs and economy and immigration are in the top two with education, healthcare, and a very distant third. So jobs and economy and immigration very much benefit Republicans. So the issue set are concerns. That's where kind of voters are at, but also to see kind of where uh, uh, priorities shift among voters uh, based on outside events that are happening. I'm curious about if the rural counties have different priorities from like Metro Phoenix and, and Tucson. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And that you see one of the biggest things we see out there outside of like educational attainment or uh, age or generation differences in voters. Uh, one of the other big things we see is the, the geographic location. So whether folks live in a, a rural part of, of the state, uh, a suburban area or urban, and you see that uh, in the rural portion of the state is that uh, voters are definitely a bit more conservative, more Republican, uh, but their uh, priorities are, you know, jobs and economy is number one for them. Uh, however, education is, is a little bit higher uh, in the rural areas compared to suburban and urban due to uh, level of access that they have, uh, which is interesting. And also healthcare is a little bit more important um, to the rurals as well. Uh, do that same issue. So you see that uh, based on, you know, geographic areas, there's difference, but typically rural is your more conservative, uh, your urban area or your city core centers are your most uh, liberal um, or democratic. And then your suburban areas are kind of really where that battleground or more moderate voters uh, hang out at. It looks like we're seeing some shakeup in the the U.S. Senate race with Blake Masters. Um, Mitch McConnell's PAC recently pulled $8 million in TV and radio money from that campaign. Do you think it's losing steam? Let me preface it this way. So uh, I'm a nonpartisan researcher. Uh, I'm looking at the data. I don't care about red team or blue team who's winning. What I care about is, is correctly predicting or showing the trends that are happening, uh, so the outcome. So with that said, based on the data we've seen, this is what I can tell you about the U.S. Senate race, is that uh, Sabato's crystal ball, which is the was the most accurate election prognosticator uh, in 2020. They literally got every state correct except for one. 
Uh, so better than 538, better than The Economist. And uh, when they look at their race rating, they had it uh, positioned as a toss-up. And that rating, they had it, they did that at the end of, of July. And why that's important is because our election was on, what, August 2nd or 3rd, so beginning of August. So we didn't know who was coming out of the, the GOP primary there. And when we're doing the polling and stuff, we saw that Mark Kelly versus a generic Republican, he had a, only a one-point advantage. And remember, a generic Republican, you have, you know, four or five that were running right. in that race right. with different colors or different shades of red. Right. And so what's interesting is that well, the primary happened, Blake Masters won with roughly about 40% of the vote. Um, and so he now has become the, the nominee and, and only about 35% of Republicans in the state actually vote in the primary. So you have that group. And so Blake Masters comes out of it and candidate quality matters more so in Senate races than they do in like congressional or some other ones. Uh, uh, cause candidate quality, uh, think of a candidate, like a product, the better product you have, the, the better it is, uh, you, you have a better job of advertising and marketing it. So when we look at the race is that they recently just did their ratings change. They moved the race to actually lean Democrat. Um, they actually announced it yesterday. And you're wondering, okay, well, why is it not a toss-up anymore and lean? Well, there's a couple factors. One is uh, Fox News and a couple others, but Fox News did a uh, roughly 1,000 poll, and they've had a really good track record of polling in the state. Actually, it's one of the groups I think does a really good job in polling. And they showed Blake Masters eight points behind uh, Mark Kelly. Yeah. But remember, Mark Kelly was plus one versus generic Republican. I would argue that Blake Masters is not a generic Republican because he ran very hard to the right. And that's not saying he's wrong on his position or anything else. Talking about the strategy and the data is that he ran very hard to the right, like, for example, saying he's 100% pro-life on his issues. And then now moving to the general election, it's a different issue set that's important because your base is going to stay with you. The, the question is, like, you got to convince those moderate middle of the road voters if you want to win in November. So there's the issue one, which is eight points behind. So, he's, you know, definitely and I should point out in, in recent days, he's taken down the abortion language that was on his website. He's removed some of the more controversial language and claims from his website. Correct. But by doing so, he's getting uh, beat up a decent amount of. Uh, in the media, but also him being a newer candidate. Uh, I don't think voters really knew of Blake before uh, running for the primary. And so, you know, they don't know him very well, but already moving on one of these positions, uh, you know, it doesn't bode well. But that's the thing is when you run harder to the right in a, or to the left in a primary, when you try to pivot to the middle, it makes that, that maneuver tougher. OHPI will release its latest general election poll numbers in the middle of September. Keep listening to the field for the details and for more insight from Mike Noble. This is the field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis.
Since we last got together, an ambitious election ballot proposition has suffered defeat even before the public got a chance to weigh in on it. In the end, the Free and Fair Elections Act failed to collect the valid signatures it needed to make the ballot. But the road to that decision was a bit of a roller coaster ride. We sat down with Capital Media Services' Howard Fisher to discuss the on-again, off-again court ruling that knocked it out. Thank you for joining us. Well, glad to be here. It's been an interesting year for uh, things both that the legislature is putting on the ballot and things that the voters are trying to put on the ballot. One story that it developed on Friday and gave some of us whiplash was the Free and Fair Election Act. Late Thursday, the judge said, it's good to go. It'll be on the ballot. And then the next day he said, it's not. Oh, it's, it's even more crazy than that. Because there were challenges to all three initiatives by people who said that they didn't meet certain technical qualifications because the paid circulators hadn't registered. And in all three cases, the state Supreme Court said that's not necessary. So we're not going to knock it off for that reason. In this case, the court said there were some individual challenges uh, to individual signatures or individual circulators as to whether they had performed certain procedures, had gotten their their signatures notarized. And so the foes, led by the Free Enterprise Club, mounted a challenge, went to court, and the trial judge initially said, because the Supreme Court knocked it back to trial judge to come up with the numbers, said, well, I don't think you're going to make it on the numbers. That led it back to the Supreme Court, which said, well, look, we really need a better accounting on this, which led it back to Judge McKittish, Again, the Maricopa County Superior Court judge, who then issued a ruling on Thursday, as you point out, who said, well, when you, uh, when you account for duplicate signatures and those who are already eliminated, we think that there is actually enough to meet the bare minimum, which is 237345 That was the end of it, we thought. Then the Supreme Court said to the judge, and this is going to sound like a kindergarten teacher, show us your math to the judge. And forced the judge to go back and do the math. And then after the judge redid what we assumed was the same math, he said, well, no, now, now you're actually short of the signatures you need by about 1,400 signatures. And then that went back to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court agreed to affirm that revised decision by Judge McKittish. And that, that put a fork in it. And uh, so voters aren't going to get a chance to vote on a whole bunch of uh, of, of interesting changes to law, not just in terms of, of repealing some of the changes, for example, to the permanent early voting system, but it would allow, for example, same-day registration. It would, it, it would keep the legislature from making last-minute changes to the presidential elector system like they tried to do in, in the state house after the 2020 election. It included things like you would be automatically registered to vote when you got your driver's license. So it was a whole laundry list of, of voting rights measures. Exactly. I think that there are people who believe that the Republican legislature over the years has made it harder to register and harder to vote. From the perspective of the Republican lawmakers is they say we're just trying to ensure the integrity of the roles, that you really are eligible to vote, that you really are who you are, which gets into some of the other things that are going to be on the ballot about things like voter ID. So... It's a very delicate balance between being able to exercise the right to vote and at what point it becomes such a hurdle that you are 
uh, effectively deterring people from turning out. And it bears noting that the vast majority of ballot propositions on the ballot this time around are legislatively referred there. Like another proposition that we'll be reviewing a little later in the show is Prop 129, which pretty much guarantees that you'll be seeing a lot more ballot propositions because it limits each proposition to just one question. Well, and this is where it gets real interesting because the question of a single subject is in the eye of the beholder. So, for example, one of the issues that came up a number of years ago is in 2006, voters approved a state minimum wage. Because up until then, we just lived on the federal minimum wage. And then they, they, they uh, upped that again in 2016. One of the things that was also included there is a certain number of, of paid days off, vacation time, uh, sick leave, and things like that. The foes of that tried to say, well, that's not a single subject. The idea being you shouldn't have to take two different issues. Now, are they really two different issues? You know, the proponents would say this is all part of compensation. And if, in fact, this single subject measure is approved, this Prop 129 is approved at the ballot, it's going to create a whole cottage industry of litigation where folks will try to decide, for example, when they created the Clean Elections Commission, uh, you know, which involves not only public financing of elections, but also involves, uh, you know, a, a tax on certain other people. You know, for example, there's a 10% tax. If you get a, a traffic fine, 10% of that goes to fund the Clean Elections Commission. Is that one subject or is that two? For example, if, if the proponents of the Free and Fair Election Act were to come back in 2024 to try to resubmit this, it would actually, under this new measure, would require them to like make it like six or seven ballot propositions. Am I understanding that, that right, would, Howard? That would appear to be the case. But again, you know, the legislature, for example, which is governed by the single subject rule on some of what it does, does put out these sort of omnibus bills, omnibus election bills. And so I think what's going to happen is somebody will, will challenge it. And we will have to go all the way back to the state Supreme Court ahead of the 2024 election. And we'll have to get a ruling from the state Supreme Court as to what counts as single subject. Now, there is a good reason for a single subject rule. And the issue there is log rolling. The idea is if you may put two different things in, uh, in a ballot measure to, to oversimplify it. Here's one part of the ballot measure says we all get free candy. And the other part of the ballot measure says, and you have to go to the dentist once a year. Now, if you what what you're forcing people to do if you combine them in a single ballot measure is say, I want the free candy, so therefore I will take something I don't want, which is a dental appointment. And so you, you don't want that kind of log rolling where you're trying to bring people in with something so they have to accept something they don't want. Ah. But again, what's a single subject? You know, that becomes the question of at what point are they no longer you know, part of a, of a whole plan, a whole scheme, if you will. All right, Howard Fisher, Capital Media Services. So good to talk with you. Thank you for your time. You're very welcome. Look for Howard's coverage of the Capitol on our website, kawc.org, and keep listening to The Field to hear more of his political insights.
And finally, we were just hearing about Proposition 129. Let's take a closer look at that initiative in today's Props by the Numbers. This ballot question comes to us courtesy the last legislative session. It seeks to limit ballot initiatives to a single issue, and it requires the measure's title to clearly reflect that issue. Supporters of Prop 129 say it prevents organizations from using a single ballot initiative to address a variety of different, often unrelated issues. The Free Enterprise Club says it provides simplicity and clarity for voters considering a ballot proposition. Opponents, like the League of Women Voters of Arizona, say it limits the ability for the citizens to enact their own laws by limiting the topics dealt with in a single measure. One Arizona raises fears they will prevent rural communities from communicating their needs and desires for new statutes. We have links to Prop 129's official ballot language and official comments on the pros and cons of the measure at kawc.org, where you can also look for The Field's latest podcast. Next week on The Field, we'll talk to the chair of Arizona's Republican Party, Dr. Kelly Ward, about the issues facing the state's rural counties and the political climate heading into the November 8th general election. And GOP Attorney General candidate Abe Hamaday joins us to discuss his positions on border security and water policy as they relate to Yuma County. The Field is a production of KAWC, Colorado River Public Media. Send your questions or comments to me, lisa.sturgis at kawc.org, or you can follow me on Facebook at Lisa Sturgis KAWC. Our theme music was composed by Steve Hennigan, performed by members of the Human Jazz Company. For more information on their music, visit humajazz.com. Thanks for listening to The Field. Remember, you can always hear the show at kawc.org, on the KAWC app, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Lisa Sturgis. I sure do hope you'll come back next week. Till then, keep yourself informed.